unbelievable moment. Were you guys ready for part two of a rock a donkey and riding the elephant? Um, okay, so I'm gonna be really truthful with you uh, before I get into the content today. I debated long and hard. I know that I said last weekend that I was gonna have the elephant suit on again today, um, but I can't do it, and here's why. Um, I have been struck with a massive problem of ADHD, and so um, having the elephant on, I was trying so hard to focus, and none of you were focusing, um, and I wasn't focusing, so with the content that I want to get to today, I had to make sure that we didn't have it on so that I could really dig into what I wanted to dig into uh, today. If you missed last week, we are going to do part two of a message that I split into two segments. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it could go part three, depending on how far we get into this today. I've gone deep down the rabbit hole with this, with this one. Um, but uh, I wanna encourage you, get online. You can go check out the message from last week on our YouTube channel. You can catch up on everything that we started this conversation out with. I'm gonna go ahead and read our anchor scripture. It's Proverbs chapter one, <clears throat> verses one through seven. This is the, the scripture that's holding this whole series, Act of Fool, together. And it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person learn and increase, listen and, le- and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So today, as we continue on in our series, Act a Fool, I want to speak to you from the subject, a rock, a donkey, and riding the elephant, part two. As we look at wisdom and our emotions. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. And it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so, God, right now I ask, underneath the counsel of your word, that you would speak to us. God, that all of us collectively in this moment, as we are in community, as your body, not the building, but every single one of us in here, needing your voice and your words for our lives. So we open up our minds to you, we open up our hearts to you. Would you have your way? Speak to us now. And God, may these be your words, not mine. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Just a quick highlight before we get into what I want to get into today. Last weekend, if you weren't here, uh, we started this conversation about our emotions. Therapy session, show of hands, how many of you have emotions? Come on, put them up. Every, every single one of us have emotions. And uh, so it's something that we have to deal with because if we're honest, and what we discovered last week is that our emotions are an elephant and we are the rider. And we are constantly working with our emotions, and if we're not careful... Our emotions can take us places uh, really quickly that we didn't even desire to go because they are powerful and they are strong. But we have, as the rider, the ability to control them and work with them through wisdom. Everybody shout wisdom. Wisdom. Come on, everybody shout wisdom. Wisdom. And so we talked a lot about that last week and what does that look like and we, and we dug into it. So I want, I want to make sure that you go back to, uh, go back to the, uh, the message last week so you can grab a hold of that. We, we left the message with this first truth about our emotions and it's this, that our emotions point to what wisdom needs to process. So we talked about it, that our emotions, they're not bad, they're indicators. They help us understand like, okay, something's going on inside of me, something's happening in here, something's happening in here, and now I need wisdom. Ever shout wisdom? wisdom? I need wisdom to process them. So today I wanna now work through the, the remaining truths about our emotions 
uh, so that we can really dial in to how we deal with these wild animals, these elephants known as emotions. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, so here's the second truth that we need to understand. We're gonna jump right into it. Here's the second truth that we need to understand about our emotions, and it's this. Emotions are real, but they're not always right. Our emotions are real, but they are not always right. Check out Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says this, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. That is a heavy piece of scripture right there. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. I want you to hear this today. It is amazing how many times we have allowed the truths of our lives to be established by the lies of our emotions. Think about that for a second. That we have created truths for our life that were established by the lie of our emotions. How many of you would agree with me that we've allowed our emotions to create some frameworks for our life? I felt a certain way and so therefore, a, B, and C is now the product of, a, of an emotion, simply something that we, that we felt. And honestly, it could have been bad pizza the night before, right? Have you ever woke up some sort of way because you ate something weird, you had a weird conversation, or you did the big no-no and got onto social media before bed, right? And all of a sudden, you feel some sort of way, and truths were established simply based on a feeling that's going to move or shift in any given moment. But the even crazier thing that we've done is that we have allowed certain emotions to create lifelong truths that we now live out of, which is super dangerous. Because the truth is, is that they're not truths. Why? Well, because our emotions are real, but they're not always right. Isn't it funny that many times we live according to our emotions simply because in our eyes, they're right. And the only reason that they're right is because we felt them. In other words, we feel something, we make decisions based on that feeling, realizing that live, living according to that feeling was not wise, but because it was our feeling, we doubled down on it and we call it right. No matter how severe the consequences. Have you ever invested into your emotions by way of decision? And then you realize, by way of pride and ego, now I just have to ride this elephant of emotion because to back out of it would make me look a certain way. Come on, married couples. <laughs> How many arguments have we had? I know that we've done it so many times where like, she, I don't like arguing with my wife. Here's why. Because she's super quick on her feet. Crazy quick. Sneaky quick. She's a linguistic ninja. No, let me take that back. <laughs> An assassin. <laughs> so if, if we start going, she's smart, she's on her feet, right? And so if we start going, like she will like destroy me in an argument and everything inside of me just wants to say, can you pause for a second, let me research, do all my stuff, write a message for you, then let's go. <laughs> Takes me at least 20 hours to formulate my thoughts here, right? But how many of you know, like, in any type of relationship, we start engaging in battle? And can we, come on, let's be honest in today. I know some of us are like, oh, we don't fight. Be quiet. <laughs> yes, you do. You may not be loud about it, but oh, come on, you fight, all right? So we engage in battle, and we have these things that are going on. And there's been so many times as we've engaged in battle, I know that I'm wrong. 
I know that I'm wrong. But now emotions there, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, egos come in, prides come in, so I just keep on going, right? And I just double down because for me to back out and be like, pause, time out, you're right, I can't even, I can't even fathom what that would mean. <laughs> come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? <laughs> so... That's what I'm talking about, we invest into our emotions. And when we allow the elephant to go, we're just investing all of this, uh, let's call it personal currency. We're investing this personal currency into our emotions. And I think one of the greatest reasons that our emotions have destroyed many of us is because we've put so much personal currency into it and then we feel like we can't take it out because I've already invested so much into it. Yet the emotion destroys us and we gave everything that we are in order for it to do so. Is that making sense to anybody today? And so we've got to, we've got to be careful. Listen, emotions are valid, but it does not make them viable. Yes. Having emotions and living out of those emotions are two very different things, right? This is especially true when it comes to negative and destructive emotions. Can we go there today? Talked a little bit about these last week. I want to <clears throat> talk through some Uh, important facts that I've come across. Uh, Psychologists have used the term cognitive distortion to help define the issue that many of us face when it comes to our emotions, especially negative ones. In the 1960s, a psychiatrist by the name of Aaron Beck developed what is known as the cognitive behavioral theory. Let me pause here and create a qualifier. As I share some of this stuff, please don't hear me as associating it as something that I believe in totality or I'm propagating this reality. I just need us to have some framework to work out of. Does that make sense? So just hear it as as information and study because of where some of the things that they suggest to us. All right? His evaluation and study of people brought him to the conclusion that we tend to get caught in our own personal feedback loops, especially where negative emotions are concerned. And these negative thoughts cause negative feelings, then they cause negative reasoning, and then would drive his patients, listen to this, to then search out the evidence needed to support the loop of negative thinking they found themselves in. So what he's suggesting is that for those of us who are emotional people, which is all of us in here, when we get caught, especially into negative emotions, this feedback loop starts happening and we start looking, trying to sniff out. You ever been there before? You're trying to sniff out anything that gives you evidence that what you think and feel is right. And so we're like, we're like a pig looking for a truffle. Just looking around for this thing that we can, like, that we can grab a hold of. And anything that we need. So if somebody gives you a bad look, they weren't even looking at you. But you're like, see, there it is right there. See that? You walked into church today. One of our ushers missed you. See that? See that? They don't like me here. Oh, pastor walked right past me. He He didn't even say hi. He doesn't care. And we look for all the, see, they messed my Starbucks order up today. Told you Starbucks was the Antichrist. See? <laughs> the evidence needed to support the loop of negative thinking that they found themselves in. Beck would call this the cognitive triad of depression. 
I'm no good, my world is bleak, and my future is hopeless. And most people will experience, most of us will experience this type of thinking sporadically and periodically throughout life. But the danger, here it is right here, is when we hold that thinking all together and begin then to build the framework, framework of our life off of it. Why? Well, because we held on to it and we allowed the emotion to be our truth. Psychologists call this grand structure a schema. Listen to this definition. This is the word used to refer to the patterns of thoughts and behaviors built up over time that people use to process information quickly and effortlessly as they interact with the world. Don't worry, we're gonna get to the Bible in a second. I'm just producing our argument right now. When we talk about the elephant, schemas are deep down in the elephant and they are what drive the elephant and cause the elephant to overpower the rider many times. Within this psychological framework, we're introduced to a sample of these cognitive distortions. This is not an exhaustive list I'm gonna read to you, but it is the nine that I wanna highlight today because they're important for the truth that we are examining. Emotions are real, but they're not always right. You wanna hear some cognitive distortions? This is where it gets really personal and it kinda hurts a little bit. I read through these and I was like, dang it, I'm nine out of nine. Here's the first one, emotional reasoning. This is letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. Come on, let that settle in. And it sounds like this sometimes. I am sad, therefore my marriage is not working. I am sad, therefore my boss doesn't like me. It's emotional reasoning. And we work through it and and, and everything that we look at, everything that we see is, is through this thought process. Here's the second one. Catastrophizing, catastrophizing is how they say it, I think. (laughs) I put it this way, making a catastrophe out of everything. Catastrophizing, thanks babe, way to be on your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to this one, focusing on the worst possible outcome and seeing it as the most likely. Sounds like this, if I fail this test, I will not be successful at anything in life. Come on. If he dumps me, I'll never find love. (laughs) Come on. It's a catastrophe. Everything is doomsday. Overgeneralizing is the next one. Perceiving a global pattern of negatives off the basis of a single incident. Because this happened, then all of this is bad. Because my father hurt me, all men are bad. Can we touch it? Because my mom was absent, all women are bad. Because I got hurt at my last church, all churches are bad. What happens when this framework is that we, do have, we have no options for change in our lives then. You automatically put somebody in a negative position because of what somebody else did, because of something else that had happened. And we overgeneralize, and think about this, how much we do this in so many different areas of our lives. Dichotomous thinking is another one, also known 
as black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking, binary thinking, viewing events or people in all or nothing terms. I get rejected by everyone. Nothing good ever happens. You ever said that before? You always. You wanna have a fun moment in relationship with somebody? Just tell them you always. How many of you know that's the recipe for a great argument? Always? You, you mean always? <laughs> Here's another one. Mind reading. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Everybody's like, can we leave? What's happening right now? Mind reading. Assuming that we know what people think without having sufficient evidence of their thoughts. They think I'm blank, so they don't like me. Did you know, can I just say this? As much as you think that you know what others are thinking, can I tell you nine out of 10 times, they're not thinking about you. Right. <laughs> you ever met that person that always has this nigga? And I'm like, people don't think about you that much. If anything, you could say, no one cares about me because they're not thinking about me. True. <laughs> Here's another one, labeling. These are all cognitive distortions. Assigning global negative truths to yourself or others, often in service of dichotomous thinking. I did blank, so I am a bad person. They did blank, so they are a bad person. This one really stops us from forgiving people and forgiving ourselves. And thirdly, allowing Jesus to forgive us. This is assessing a negative outlook upon ourselves or others in perpetuity. I love that word. Forever. Forever. Here's another one, negative filtering. Negative filtering, I love this one, I hear this one a lot. You focus almost exclusively on the negatives and seldom notice the positives. The sun's out today, but it's gonna give me cancer. <laughs> Negative filtering, I call these Eeyore people. <laughs> Clouds everywhere. Come on, have you ever met that person before? Right, Every, doesn't matter what you say, they will find a negative slant. They'll grab, and they'll grab it quick. Oh my goodness, it's a beautiful day today. Yeah, but the pollen count's high. You're gonna see my eyes later. They're just gonna pop out of my face. I just said it was beautiful. So ne negative, negative slant. It's negative filtering. Discounting positive. Here's one. Claiming that the positive things you or others do are trivial so that you can maintain negative judgment. This will save some of our marriages today. This is what he's supposed to do so it doesn't count. Am I pushing today? That's what she always does so it doesn't count. He's the pastor, he's supposed to say that. I'm just throwing a few out. I've never heard them before. And here's the last one, blaming. Focusing on the other person as the source of our negative feelings and you refuse to take responsibility for changing yourself. She's to blame for the way I feel now. My parents are the reason that I have all of these problems. I needed to work through all that so that we can see the power 
of what happens when we operate biblically and with wisdom. Because Philippians chapter four, verses eight through nine says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things and do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And then here it is right here. When I fix my mind on these things, then the God of peace will be with me. What am I thinking on? Is it wisdom or is it my emotions? Because some of us are just wandering around with our emotions and we have this space right here to operate with so much wisdom. I love this. If anything's praiseworthy, Come on, church, this morning we had a praiseworthy moment. It's not looking for cancer because of sun. It's just basking in the sun. Come on, somebody. Like, that, that's what we're talking about here. And, and, and the space that we're living in, I think we need more joy in our lives. Not happiness. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, isn't it? Like, I could, like some, if, I, if I told everyone today we're giving everyone a Ferrari after service, We'd have sick. <laughs> We'd have happy people. That's circumstantial. Because then what if I said all of the Ferraris, none of them have engines? You'd be like, wait a second. And we no longer have, you see, it's circumstantial. It, it changes by way of situation. But the joy that comes from the Lord that's built on wisdom. No matter which way the elephant is trying to go, I can sit on top of the elephant and he's jerking his head this way and I'm bringing it back this way with a smile on my face, enjoying my heart, and I can praise Jesus and I can worship Jesus. Why? Because the elephant's trying to get out of control, but I'm in a space right here where I am thinking on everything that is pure, everything that is holy, everything that is praiseworthy, everything that is honorable. And this is something that we say in our marriage. Something that we say in pre-marriage counseling, our emotions are valid. We feel them and experience them. However, that does not make them right or true. This is where maturity comes into play. Can I just help all of us out with a definition of maturity? Do not run around saying you're mature if you cannot control the elephant. Maturity is the ability to ride the elephant. It's immaturity when we let the elephant go. My kids let the elephant go all the time. We're bigger right now, so we can control the little elephants in the house. We got a three-year-old, crazy elephant. <laughs> right? But I still got to check. But no, like, she's not, she's immature. She, so everything just, it's an elephant. Elephants everywhere. Elephants on the parade. But that's all right because we're not assessing maturity to her. But if Erica did the same thing as my three-year-old, <laughs> or if I did the same as our three-year-old, come on. I'm not, I'm not exercising maturity. See, many times things are never resolved in our lives because we don't feel like talking about our feelings. We know deep down inside are there because our feelings are wrong. And just because we feel it doesn't make it right. 
Listen to Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. It says this, to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Okay, now I want you to hear this next statement. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Here's why. To his neighbor, because we are members of one another, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Just for any of us in here like, oh, I don't know if the devil exists. There it is. And he'll take every opportunity to slide right into that space that's been created. Because we're members of one another. Husbands, because we are members of one another. Wives, because we're members of one another. Church, because we are members of one another. The community around us, because we are members of one another. So we've got to be very careful when it comes to our emotions that they, they're real. No one's discounting that. But that doesn't make them right. Am I helping anybody out with that one? Just because they're there doesn't mean that they are right. Here's the third truth that we need to grab a hold of for our emotions today. What is in the heart is not always smart. (laughs) What is in the heart is not always smart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Luke chapter six, verse 45, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. And this is such an important truth for us to understand. You see, our emotions are hardwired into fallen and broken natures. Therefore, to follow them independent of a greater guide in our lives is to set ourselves up for personal peril and relational frustration. This was the problem in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Watch this. Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was more cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God, there it is right here, did God really say? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the switch. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she started to look for wisdom outside of the counsel of God. Why? Based upon an emotion, it looks good. And it'll feed me. Come on, how many of you agree with me? There's some things in the world that look good, and it seems like it'll feed you. Right, but have you ever eaten at Panda Express before? (laughs) Come on, it's fake food. Can we be honest in in church today? Show of hands, how many of you are hungry 16 minutes later? To the dot. It's like, oh, man. Wow, I'm, I'm hungry again. Food without sustenance, right? It doesn't keep you fed very long. This is why Jesus would say when it comes to thirst, that if you, if you drink from him, you'll never thirst again. Why? Because there's something in the world that's trying to appease our appetite, and then there is God who fulfills our appetite. It's the difference between emotion and wisdom. Come on, how many of you ever felt good when you just let the emotions fly? No one wants to say anything. (laughs) Come on, we've all done it before. You said something, you articulated something, you smacked a wall, you ate something, 
oh, I'm just, I'm just, where's the donuts, right? You're like, Jason, that's not, that's not bad. You're right, donuts have no moral value whatsoever. But what it is that they're trying to cover up in you, that's the issue we're trying to get at. So what we do is we create these laws in our lives where we're like, well, it's just donuts, so it's not, or it's just this, so it's not. I mean, at least I didn't kill anybody today. That's a win. You guys see what I'm talking about? But what we're really trying to do is we're trying to press into these things because God wants us to deal with these elephants. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for attaining wisdom. Watch what happens when we dig into our emotions. We allowed them to rule our lives. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. A lot of commentators and theologians would believe that this is the first moment of shame. And for many of us, we are trapped in a cycle of shame because we engaged with our emotions and allowed the elephant to run versus wisdom to speak. Following our heart, I want to say this as strong as I can, following your heart is the worst way to engage with your emotions. I'm just following my heart. Well, the Bible just told us that out of your heart comes some stuff. Like I run when people are like, I'm, I'm just following my heart. Run. <laughs> They're following their heart. Because I'm going to get caught up in this vortex of emotion. Following your heart is our way of saying, I don't care about the process or the repercussions. I'm simply going to do what feels good and seems right in my eyes. This, is, this idea was summed up in a song I overheard the other day as the singer would say, say this. And here's the cultural statement for this cultural moment we're in. If it doesn't feel right, then it's wrong. Man, what an assessment. I don't even remember how the tune went. If it doesn't feel right, then it's wrong. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm listening. It's not country. It's not country. It's not a tumor. <laughs> What I'm, what I'm trying to address is the whimsical, fairy tale esque go whichever way the wind blows system of doing life. Listen, I'm all about fun, and I'm all about seizing the moment, and I'm all about living in the presence and in, in, in the moment with Jesus. But there's a difference between living in that space, understanding that wisdom is guiding me, versus whatever happens because I let my emotions go is what happens. And there's a body count behind many of us because we've done it that way. Can I be your pastor today? <laughs> Substantive relationships are the product of core beliefs, process standards, and committed resolve to wisdom. The best relationships that we will ever have are the ones that go beyond our feelings and simply just following our heart. What's wrong with following our heart? Well, as we read more and more and more, our heart's deceitful. It's messed up. And for some of us today, I want, to ask, I want us to ask this question. Am I following me or am I following Jesus? Because the answer to that question will tell us 
if we are living emotional lives and riding the elephant, or if I'm living submitted to the wisdom and grace of Jesus in my life. Here's the fourth point and the last one we need to understand about our emotions. Guys, we did it. This is only part two, no part three. We're gonna dig into some fun stuff next week, though. Here's the the fourth. Every shot number four. Four. Are you still with me? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the last truth we need to know. Our emotions are not designed to shepherd us. Our emotions are not designed to shepherd us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, here it is. Watch what Jesus did. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. How many of you agree that's an emotional moment? How many of you have ever been insulted before? Come on, show hands. Like somebody said something to you, and you wanted to respond emotionally. The Bible's telling us that the pattern that we're to follow is when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like, here it is, you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. At the end of the day, emotions are not designed to shepherd and oversee our lives. There is only one person who can be in that position, and his name is Jesus. He is the one that marched triumphantly to the cross, and by placing his life upon it and putting himself in a grave and getting up three days later, he said that I declare that I am the shepherd of your souls. So we can't live conform to the world. So when we run around just following our emotions and letting the elephant run, we're telling Jesus that he no longer has the position to shepherd. You know, a shepherd has a staff. Not like a staff, not like a working staff, like a staff. Just clear. He has an HR department? That's weird. Sorry. Sorry, I'm feeling cheeky today. Cheeky. So he's got a staff. And uh, he uses that staff occasionally to bop a sheep. Because how many of you agree with me? Sheep need some bopping. We all need some bopping. At times. Have you ever noticed that your emotions won't bop you? Emotions are staffless. They let you do whatever you want to do. Let you go wherever you want to go. I heard a story the other day that I think bears repeating. Someone was telling me, shepherds, as they would lead sheep, they would correct him. Because if a sheep gets next to a cliff, I mean, they're not the smartest people. Or, well, animals. So the sheep use, or the shepherd uses the staff to, to move them, but the shepherd does some other things. The Bible tells us that he leads us, leads us by still waters. And I heard this story the other day, and it blew my mind. You know why he leads us by still waters? 
is because still waters is the proof that it's super deep. It looks great, it looks nice, and the reason that a shepherd has to keep sheep away from still waters is because if a sheep goes to drink in still waters, the water gets in its wool, and all of a sudden it overpowers him, and the sheep sinks. So a sheep has to be led to a babbling brook or moving water because it's less deep there. And so a shepherd is constantly trying to make sure that we don't find ourselves in positions that will kill us. And for many of us, we are trying to drink from the deep pool of emotion. And the shepherd's simply saying, I need you to come back because if you start drinking from that water, you are going to destroy yourself. So let me lead you to a better place. Let me lead you to moving water. Let me lead you to my spirit. Because when you are there, oh, come on, somebody. When you're there, that is when you get everything that you need. So that's why Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through to 26, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and the law is not against such things. And now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited or provoking one another or envying one another. And here's the truth that I need us to get today as we close. We need to notice that our feelings, at least our right ones, are not a self-produced product, but rather a spirit-enabled position. I don't live from myself and for myself. I live in the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in my life. And so therefore, I take the reins of the elephant and I live each day bringing glory and honor to the one who gives me everything I need to navigate this life to the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus. Can I get an amen in church today? Come on, watch you stand to your feet in this moment. ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question today. As we round the corner on this segment of Act of Fool and talking about our emotions, we come to the place that we'll always come to, and that is the shepherd of our souls. His name is Jesus. He walks with us. He leads us by still waters so that we can find everything.